0: Hello and welcome to Two Peeds in a Pod, the medical education podcast from the Children's Emergency Department in Derby. I'm Ian and your host again and today I'm talking to PEM and EM consultant uh, Dr Elizabeth Herevan uh, who's based in Hull. Hello. Good afternoon Elizabeth, how are you? I'm good thank you, are you? Excellent, yeah very well thank you. Um, and I've wanted to talk to you for a little while now because every time I nip to the loo at work your, your daughter <laughs> stares at me. That sounds it's a bit, bit weird. Putting, isn't it? <laughs> so, so let's clarify that a bit. The reason your daughter stares at me uh, at work is because um, a little while ago, uh, you and Linda Dykes, uh, based in Bangor, produced a fantastic infographic that uh, was was very widely spread on social media and Twitter in particular. And we loved it in Derby, and it still sits there, It's still laminated for CQC inspection. Um, <laughs> And um, I, I thought we'd, we'd sort of take the opportunity to talk through it. And the infographic was about top tips for triaging and treating children with Down syndrome. And I guess the first question is, what, what drove you to produce this? What was the thinking behind doing this?
1: Well, this, this was, well, first off, I'm really glad you like it. And I'm really glad my daughter hasn't put you off. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was about just over a year ago, actually. And um, I was in the middle of a Twitter conversation with um, some emergency medicine colleagues around the country, and um, this was about the very tragic case of Jack Adcock, and it got me thinking about the fact that kids with Down syndrome have got this really toxic combination where they have lots of things that make them more likely to have serious illness, but also lots of things that make it more difficult for us to assess them. Yeah. Um, And Linda, who I have never met in person, um, purely through Twitter, um, suggested that um, we get together and we put down um, some of the things that I've learnt from my daughter over the years. Uh, She is nearly 13 and she has Down syndrome and autism. Um, And so we did. We got together and put together the infographic. And like you say, it's been um, a pretty wild year Um, it's still being shared now which is really really lovely to see and i'm really pleased that people have liked it and i hope they've got some good learning from it as well
0: absolutely Um,
1: i I don't remember back in med school ever hearing much about down syndrome anyway um, But certainly not about how um these children are more at risk than others Um, and i don't remember hearing much in sort of post-grad um education either to be fair so I think most of what I've learned has been from Amy, and I wanted to share some of that with, with other people, really.
0: Yeah, and I, I think I'd, I'd probably reflect that in my own experiences, actually, you sort of think mm-hmm. about cardiac stuff at birth, um, yeah. and because I did a bit of oncology for some time, then, then there's, there's sort of that side of things. But, but yeah. I think I'd agree with you that the, the, the other sort of potential problems that these children encounter and the problems that we have in, in sort of, say, triaging and assessing them maybe isn't as well taught as it, it could and yeah, should absolutely. be. Um, so if we can sort of then just sort of talk through the infographic you came up essentially with 10 top tips which Mm -hmm. you know were really helpful really practical stuff which is what people need in ed we we want practical things Um, and I I like number one number one was poor temperature control Mm -hmm. Um, because you you know we we bang on with a lot of sepsis six and those sorts of things around we bang on and bang on about fever but actually you can be caught out here
1: Absolutely. Um, I remember Amy when she was little, she she was in and out of hospital the entire time, um, but she never really got that much of a temperature. Um, she used to get quite sweaty and clammy when she was well mm. um, and was constantly dripping in sweat some days and then other days um, would feel really quite cool, um, but she never really behaved um, as I'd always been taught that sick children did, mm. um, and and she she really couldn't control her temperature particularly well. She became very very cold very easily, um, and like I say, never never properly mounted a pyrexia. Mm. All, all children will be different, obviously, um, but this is more common in children with Down syndrome.
0: And than I think those without. It, the key there is, is sort of listening to parents, isn't it? Who yes. say you know we certainly have a group of parents who say my child does not get temperatures. Yes, and this is hot for them. you yes, know thirty six six is hot for them. Yeah. Um, and. Being very vigilant for the child who become presents hypothermic.
1: Yeah, absolutely, um, and that that's uh, the listening to parents is a massive big deal in all sorts of things that um, to do with children with learning disabilities in general. Really, that um, because of those differences, you can't possibly know everything no. about each condition. So knowing what the parents expect to be
0: normal for their child is really really important yeah uh, that's point six on your infographic which we'll we'll, no no we'll link that up to this podcast but yeah uh, that's so important to listen to the parents and I think you know that's true for pretty much every child isn't it but I think particularly for children who might have complex needs that that Mm -hmm. to to ignore a parent you do so absolutely your peril I think yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: OK, so let's move on then. So number two, we're thinking about a weak immune system. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, the reasons behind this aren't particularly well understood, and, and I've done a bit of digging. But in general, children with Down syndrome are more likely to pick up infections and are more likely to get those infections more seriously than other children. Mm. Um, and they just are more, more prone to um, to picking things up. Amy, for example, um, when she was about two, um, developed chickenpox, fairly one-of-the-mill mm. um, childhood infection. And I, I shrugged my shoulders and said, well, there's another one to cross off the list. Yes. Um, but within two days, she was being airlifted across the country with um, pneumonitis and spent a week in Alder-Hay, um, PICU. And so it seems to be a fairly common thread through our children that they just get sicker mm. um, and, and more often than other children she has had to have all her vaccinations repeated um because they didn't take um the first time um and that's again a bit of a common theme that um they don't necessarily respond to to vaccinations as other children do
0: yes and i think that's that's something that uh, i uh, i probably knew but i'd forgotten i think Mm -hmm. Uh, and and you, you know vaccination is so important that that yeah. actually those children may going through a history and saying are oh, you up to date with your vaccines actually yeah. might not exclude things absolutely
1: yeah absolutely
0: and so it took her quite a you know being ventilated for a week because you've got chickenpox yeah. is is a pretty dramatic example yeah, of that it, isn't it?
1: it it certainly was it was a, a fairly hairy old time mm. really um, and uh, she she certainly taught me an awful lot in that week or so. Yeah,
0: <laughs> bless you. Okay, uh, so weak immune systems, mm-hmm. mottle easily was point number three. Um, yeah. And mottling is something that we we you know we're told to look out for as part of sepsis. Um, what were you what were you getting at here?
1: Well, again, children with Down syndrome seem to have really poor control over their systemic vascular resistance. So I only have to look at Amy funny for her to go corn beefy around the edges. Um, And again, same as yourself, I've been taught that mottled peripheries are bad news. Um, And so it's very difficult when assessing a child with Down syndrome sometimes to know, is this their norm um, or is this them really sick? It also means that if they've got very poor control over systemic vascular resistance, their chances of compensating um, for a serious illness aren't as great and so they don't
0: do so well when they do get sick and I guess that sort of brings you to a a kind of a fine balance doesn't it of Mm. how aggressively do you treat what what may currently be a simple thing um, which I guess sometimes includes shall we just admit and observe Uh, yeah and I guess as a parent you think well what's admit and observe Gonna do that. I'm not gonna do at home. Yeah. So, so there is quite a balance there for, for everybody, really, isn't there? Yeah,
1: there there is, and kind of the kind of link to that. Um, children with Down syndrome, and again, I've not found much in in the literature about this, but they just seem to get. Um, they're more prone to sort of petechial rashes. Um, and you say about admitting and observing and things. It took me three episodes with Amy, um, before she was one, um, of her being admitted and not having ivy antibiotics and then negative blood cultures. Mm. For me to start to say, well, actually, if she comes out in a lovely particular rash, I'm just going to ignore it. Yeah. Um. And, and again, that makes it very difficult for us to assess as clinicians um, without knowing what a child is like normally. Yeah. But Amy, at the slightest hint of anything going on, comes out in a, in a florid particular rash. <laughs> OK.
0: <laughs> so it's and again, this is back to what's normal for you. Just talk to the parents, yes. listen to them. They'll tell you when they're worried. Yeah okay
1: absolutely and putting things into context as well obviously a very well-looking child um covered in spots so you're less likely to be concerned about sure. than one that's got lots of other things going on as well
0: okay um point number four in your infographic was was i think something that most people will be aware of is that or most of aware of is is about comorbidities and that, that children with Down syndrome have are more likely to have comorbidities um and i think the ones that that you know i pick-off in my brain would be cardiac problems, celiac disease. Um, You've included gastroesophageal reflux, which I, I don't think I knew, um, and autism, which yeah. I think I knew. Um, yeah.
1: There, there are an awful lot of things that, that children with Down syndrome are more likely to have, and, and the cardiac um, conditions, is about 60% of kids with, with Down syndrome will have some level of, of um, congenital cardiac anomaly Um, that can obviously range from something very very mild to something um, life-threatening but that needs to be borne in mind uh, when assessing them because that's going to put them at higher risk from certain illnesses Mm. as well Um, things like the reflux Day to day isn't going to cause much of a problem, but it is going to put them at higher risk of, of aspiration, and that's all down to being more hypotonic, um, having a, a bigger belly, um, smaller chest, smaller, um, less well angled airways, and things mm. as well. So, so aspiration is all a higher risk. Um, the the other thing is is they're more likely to have things like tracheoesophageal fistulas, uh, duodenal atresia, more likely to have Hirschsprungs, mm. constipation, um, and and it, it all just adds up to, to presenting slightly differently, um, and different illnesses affecting them in different ways. Mm. The, the autism thing um, really hit me uh, when Amy was about eight, and she started to behave very differently to her peers with mm. Down syndrome, um, and so obviously um, we ended up finally with a diagnosis of autism for her um as well as the down syndrome but since then um i've realized how very very common that is in children with down syndrome um and also other mental health conditions such as anxiety depression um and i don't know how much of that is borne out through through frustration Hmm. and and difficulties in in speech and language um but those things are also far more common um in people with down syndrome
0: i didn't know that and do, do you think that that Maybe it's previously gone under-diagnosed, potentially.
1: I think so. I think so. There, there's a, a massive um, risk of, of diagnostic overshadowing, and that's whether you're, you're trying to pick up sepsis or whether you're looking at something like uh, picking up autism in a child with Down syndrome. It's very easy to put down the symptoms that you're seeing to the underlying mm. condition that you already know is there. Um, and I think in the past, probably an awful lot of children with Down syndrome and autism were just put down to being... Being the poorer end of the Down syndrome scale, yeah. or um, poorly behaved, um, whereas actually there's something else going on. And now, Amy at school, her autism actually affects her more than her Down syndrome.
0: Right, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, mm. uh, and, and uh, yeah, it's, as you say, it's, it's often may have been put down to well, it's just them. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I like that phrase, diagnostic overshadowing. Mm. Uh, I'm going to use that. Yes, I think that that's really <laughs> helpful. Okay. Um, Num- number five, this like we're doing a top 10. Uh, number five, <laughs> leukaemia is more common. <clears throat> and my understanding is, is as well as leukaemia being more common, children with Down syndrome often get funny sorts of leukaemia as well. Yes. Uh, and, and, and often that doesn't respond as well to, to chemotherapy as you know a, a child without Down syndrome who gets ALL, the children with Down syndrome get funny sorts of leukaemia.
1: Yeah, they can they can present differently and they respond differently to treatment as well. So it's just remembering to have that in your list of differential diagnoses. If you've got something in front of you that you're not quite sure what's mm. going on, um, it's, it's remembering to bear that in mind, really.
0: Okay. Okay. Um... Point six covered, which is sort of thinking about what's normal for this child. And and I guess point seven is talking about children with Down syndrome having narrower tubes and thicker mucus, which which kind of links into (laughs) the other points that you've made as well. And I particularly like the bit where you've said they they generally produce more snot. Uh, uh, Gallons.
1: Gallons of very thick, (laughs) horrible snot.
0: (laughs) Okay. That sounds a bitter experience.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, very.
0: (laughs) Um, So uh, children with Down syndrome are getting more chest infections and and ear infections as well.
1: Those have got to be up there in the top two. The eustachian tube is narrower, it's angled less well, so um, ear infections are far more common. Um, And then the same again for chest infections. That combination of airways that don't clear themselves particularly well, um, as well as thicker snot, um, is going to always end up with a higher risk of chest
0: infections. Mm. And do you find that i don't know in your experience that, that was was amy getting a, a lot of antibiotics yes. with with you know what you would maybe think oh, this is just a cough and a cold
1: Absolutely, absolutely. The, the trouble is that every time she got a snotty nose, I knew which way we were going. I knew we were heading to her mm. being very, very short of breath and very, very unwell. Um, and so there was part of, the doctor part of me was thinking, oh, it's all viral, stay mm. away from the antibiotics. And the mum part of me was thinking, let's just treat her with everything <laughs> um, and, and try and hold things at bay. Um, and she was actually on prophylactic am- amoxicillin for um, a good 18 months right. um, because she was getting so many um, episodes where, where she was being admitted to HDU with chest infections. Um, and, and that may have done absolutely nothing thinking about it now. It was probably all all very viral most of the time, mm. um, but, but it's difficult, isn't it? Um, but yeah, her chest infections were by far the worst thing that we, we had to deal with. Um, she would, the slightest
0: hint of a snuffle and, and we knew that she was going to get very short of breath um, very soon. And, and of course, this is sort of re- relating to slightly an, another point again, which is mm. sort of thinking about serious illnesses presenting atypically. We talked about mm. leukaemia, but I think there's a very important point that you've made is sort of saying things like chest infections presenting as DNV. Yeah, um, And And getting caught, getting caught out with, with, with one thing
1: yeah absolutely we we used to neonates aren't we presenting very um very vaguely and mm. non specifically with all sorts of things and um, and that's true in older children with down syndrome as well so so something like um diarrhea and vomiting or being off food and and having um not being the normal selves could be lots and lots of different underlying things they're less likely to have those specific signs and symptoms that other children of a similar age um, might present with
0: mm. um and certainly on, I don't know about you, but we we have in Derby the the, the pops score, so the the mm-hmm. so the the, 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 the um, uh, prior, prioritization score from triage, mm-hmm. and one of the, the categories that you get an extra point for is is if you've got a, a sort of a diagnosed syndrome, or you have cardiac disease, or those sorts of things, and certainly that the children with Down syndrome would would fit in there as you know, just think a bit deeper yes. about this person. Yes. It might I think not that's just... really
1: important, and I think that's something that we probably haven't done particularly well in the past. Um, but hopefully, um, people are more aware in recent years that that yes, these children are more likely to be sicker, more likely to do it more dramatically, um, and more likely to to be more difficult to, to figure out what's going on.
0: Okay, um, the the bits that I sort of particularly took away from when I looked at this infographic at points eight and ten that was we'll just sort of finish on, which is thinking about communication um Mm. and i think the things i took particularly were sort of saying that children with down syndrome often have um some sensory processing difficulties and can be very wary of things so things like blood pressure cuffs and Sats probes Mm -hmm. and actually being aware of that and taking that time and not just sort of getting on with it is can be important
1: yeah, I, th- I think that extra time that you spend is, is really, really worthwhile. Um, and that sensory processing issue can be there whether or not the child has got um, another diagnosis of autism, mm. for example. Um, and that, that sensory processing issue can be around um a hyper stimulation so the slightest touch can be quite painful or distressing but it can also be the other way that they need um a more firm touch um because the, the um, very light touch is, is painful and distressing so for example if i wash amy's hair mm. i have to have quite a firm touch on her head or else she gets very very upset okay. um whereas if i'm brushing her teeth it's the other way she needs something really really gentle right nice. um, and again only parents are going to know what's yeah. going to set their, their child off um, The other other way that a sensory processing problem can come in is that they have quite a significant sensory processing delay when it comes to things that they've heard. Okay. So they are fairly um, strong visually. They tend to be better um, with uh, pictures, photos, signs, symbols, and they can understand and remember those things a lot better. But things that they hear um, tend to be far more um, difficult to understand. and That might be partly because of a hearing deficit. Yeah but also because of a problem with um, short-term working memory and with um, specifically processing um, auditory information. So if I talk to Amy, it takes her several seconds, often about eight to 10 seconds for her to be able to hear what I've said, understand what that means and Mm. process it, Mm. work out what she's going to say in reply and be able to formulate that answer. And Coming from an emergency medicine background, my attention span is fairly short. Yep, so I've often moved on to the next topic by the time she manages to come out with an answer. So it's remembering to slow things down a little bit and just give a little bit more time um, for these kids to understand what you're saying and be able to give you some kind of reply. Um, they can often understand, once they're given help, an awful lot more than they're able to express. So mm. that's the other really important thing with, with communication is to remember that um, although they might not be able to verbalise, things back
0: to you they can probably understand a lot of what you're going on about Mm. that's so important isn't it and it's it's again we hark back this it's asking parents what's the best way i think to 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 discuss this with your child and you know if if they're very visual people then then we we need to adapt to that don't we and there's no point you know there's no point trying to explain things that that this child might not grasp or understand i mean it behoves us to to, to adapt to that patient
1: absolutely absolutely
0: um there's so many things that that you, you sort of take away from this and I'm going to put you slightly on the spot and say look in your experiences which I'm sure have been both positive and negative as a health professional what what would be your sort of top tip really um or you know things that you've seen go wrong potentially that that we that don't want to happen again
1: I think my my biggest, biggest tips, and um, part of this is on the infographic and part isn't, is to really focus on your communication and making sure that you listen to what the parents are concerned about. These parents... They they spend far more time than than is healthy going to healthcare appointments. So they're constantly at audiology, physiotherapy, Mm. um, orthotics, um, eye clinic. And they won't come and see you unless they are actually concerned. So find out what they're concerned about and make sure that you understand what is different today um, from from yesterday or the day before. And I think with your actual assessment, um, there's a a little mnemonic that I'm quite fond of um, that isn't on the infographic, but that's the teach mnemonic. So... T would be for time. Just give yourself a bit of extra time. It's going to be worth it because you're going to get some answers. Think about the environment that you're in as well. So if you can cut out some extra noise, if you can um, cut out all the distractions so that you can focus on the child and the child can focus on you, then again, that's really worthwhile. A is for gratitude and keep an open mind. Don't make any assumptions about quality of life for this child or what they like normally, but listen to the parents and make sure that you know what their baseline's like and what is different today. And then C is for communication. That's keeping your communication as applicable to that child as, as possible. So whether that means um, speaking very slowly and taking your time or perhaps asking the parents if they can help you with some simple signs, showing pictures, showing equipment if you don't have any pictures of the equipment. And then H is for help. And getting help from the parents is is essential, Um, but also help from other professionals that might know this child well. So speaking to their normal um, paediatrician or um, enlisting help from from a play specialist, for example, um, any help that you can get is going to be really worthwhile as well. So I think mostly from our point of view as clinicians, we need to think about our assessment and how we can do a really good job, um, as good a job as we'd expect to to be able to give to any other patient.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh, that's, I think, l- will take so much it. I have got one final question. Okay. Just because it bugs me. <laughs> What's Amy done to her head on the picture, on the infographic?
1: <laughs> Funnily enough, she was just playing that day. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it <laughs> might be. <laughs> that was at Eureka, the um, the children's museum up, up oh, here yes. near, um, near Halifax yeah <laughs> so there we go.
0: good oh she hadn't hurt herself fantastic
1: no not that day
0: <laughs> right lovely thank you so much again for your time uh liz My pleasure. and send our very best to amy as well
1: thank you very much i will do thank you thank you ian
0: Bye.